Good day, everyone, and thanks for joining uh, this episode. Today's episode is a special one. It's our season finale for this year. Our guest is an executive with an exceptional experience leading cybersecurity, technology, risk, and digital teams within the financial and banking industry. Someone who is hands-on, understands technology inside out, working multiple levels, tactical, operational, and strategic. A leader who is people-centric, empowering and encouraging individuals for better team collaboration. Graduated from UTS with Masters of Business and IT Management, with previous roles, Senior Manager Cybersecurity and Technology Risk at Aussie, Head of Security and Support at Rabobank Asia Pacific, and currently he's the Chief Digital and Risk Officer at Yellow Brick Road. Kevin Mangano, welcome to this episode. Thank you, Shadi. It's great to be here. Thank you for joining us. I will start straight away with the hard questions because I want to use all your time to get as much as possible from today's session. And one of the first questions that occurred to my mind while, you know, I thought I'll be interviewing Kevin Mangano is asking what are the secret or secrets for a successful CISO or CSO or any leadership role within cybersecurity? Yeah, I, uh, I'm not sure if I have secrets, but I feel like that in the business that we deal in, which is cybersecurity, uh, whether you're successful or not uh, is a direct result that is always reflected by the effort that you put in as an individual and what you're able to get from yourself and your team at the time. So you know, if I think about personal qualities and, you know, yeah, being a leader in cybersecurity, I'd say dedication is where I would start. I think that genuine interest in cybersecurity is important. It's not something that you can simply bolt on as some kind of adjacent executive position because you're looking to become CEO of some company one day. It's it's not for the faint-hearted. And yeah, yeah I, I firmly believe that there is no other job that sits outside of law enforcement or military where a role in a corporate organisation where someone faces active, persistent criminal activity around, you know, globally every day in their role. So it's quite a unique and specialised uh, space, and I think that you have to you have to commit yourself to it. You can't be you can't be a foot in two camps. You really need to put your effort into the mastery and the profession to really give it the right respect that it deserves for the challenge that you face. Um, I guess the other other items that really pop to mind is you need to be able to think like a hacker. You, know, you do need to ha- be able to really get into the mindset of your adversaries and really, really think through and understand what their motivations are. And and that to me is the heart of where you really drive your threat modelling for your organisation. You know, if you're if if you're a good executive, you're able to really understand your business end to end, and you're able to really understand how it works and operates, you should know where the weaknesses are and you should be know how you could exploit that. You should be able to sit there and go, how would I go about taking down this business? And then thinking about building the controls and the strategy around that based on what you can really interpret. And yeah, the last two the last one for me really is about attitude. I think you need to be courageous. Um you know, being at the top, there's always that fear of failure. Yeah. And that could mean yeah, okay, you're you're the size of a 
uh, of a large organisation, you have a have an eminent role, but tomorrow that could be gone. I think you can't think about it that way. I think you need to recognise that it's not a matter of if, but when something yeah. bad happens, and you need to be you really need to be willing to lean into that that risk space and work with your constraints and resourcing and all the rest to really be able to drive a good outcome for the business, despite whatever it is your shortfalls could be. And you need to be tenacious. I think mm-hmm. you you can never give up. I think that this is, to me, at the heart of anyone who's in our profession, you need to never give up and you need to believe that you can win and that, yeah, and we know the fact is that we won't every day, but you need to take every day as a new chance to win. There is a reason why we've seen so many zero days released, you know, you know on, on all the, the you know, global national holidays. You know, everyone loves to give you a uh, a Christmas present of a, a lovely <laughs> zero day exploit, you know, in the wild, you know, the day before Christmas or something like that, because yeah. it is the way your adversary, you know, thinks. They are looking for when you're at your weakest, when you have the least amount of staff and least motivated to spend those hours trawling through those logs to understand why that alert happened. Yeah. That really really is the test. And really yeah. is shows the difference between, yeah, and makes a huge difference between. Okay, you work in cybersecurity, or you're good at cybersecurity. Definitely, and I I always follow think think red and act blue. Think how adversary would uh, do to your environment and try to defend it. My next question, or you know, comes to my mind is how important for an executive, especially a CISO, is to understand the business operation and align security controls and strategies around the business and not the other way around? Yeah, great question. I think that we've we've long passed the point in time where the grey beards of IT and cybersecurity can hide in the corner and assume that, yeah, that they're an adjunct to the rest of the business. I think that nowadays if you do not know your business operation end-to-end, you really are, you're really blind to what the threats really are to your business. So. It is the most critical thing to really understand your business. So then you could think, think red, act blue, as you said, you know, be able to really understand the risks, be able to really prioritize the work that we need to do and be able to then, you know, build your strategy from there. And, and I think that that to me is, is one of the, one of the excuses we've heard for many years. And there's been many frameworks to try and reposition cybersecurity people to be, yeah, more flexible or more integrated into the business. So I think that in general, we can't think of ourselves as a service to the business. We need to think of ourselves as a critical service that you know, cannot be, you know, the business doesn't exist without us. So we need to make sure we know and understand that our role is super critical and we need to buy into that to yeah. be, really be able to be effective. Yeah. Um, just quickly, uh, I just remembered, have you read the, the cybersecurity strategy for 2023-2030 that has been released? Uh, do you have any opinion about it? Do you have any thoughts? I think that I think that the cybersecurity strategy is a challenging space, and I think that, you know, I hadn't gone into too much detail, to be perfectly honest, but from what you know, I'd read it, I think it's, I still feel like when we talk about the cybersecurity strategy, we're still at, we're still at the beginning. We're still yeah. talking about multi-factor authentication as the key critical you know, change that needs to happen and the, the updates to the Essential 8 still focusing on, well, patching's becoming more important than ever. And I sit there and I go, 
at what point as a CISO do you just tell the business and you tell IT, I'm sorry, but we're going to turn on automated patching for everything and yeah. we are going to risk the availability of our systems based on taking a security, you know, a more security adverse position yeah. than actually turning around and and still believing the, the, the developer trope of, oh, we can't patch, we need to be able to do more testing. Like, I understand 20, 20 years ago, yeah, patching was was a much more challenging, much more challenging you know, situation when it came to our landscape. But you know, when we're still talking about patching and multi-factor authentication, I still think that that's not a strategy. To me, that's the baseline, and that we need to go past that, and we need to be focusing on, well, depth in defence. How do we how do we get better at designing secure software, and yeah. how do we mandate that from a, a national level, a, a regulatory space, because the, the, the increasing argument about you know, software companies need to own their cybersecurity as much yeah. as the people who invest in those companies to use that software need to own it. And I think that if we're still talking about multi-factor authentication, to me, that is about personal responsibility. And I am more bullish nowadays than ever about the fact that if you don't turn on multi-factor authentication, I can't help you. Because there is a minimum entry into using technology and everyone assumes that there is a there is a contract, that there is a social contract that I if I use this product I will be safe and I will abdicate my own personal responsibility in my own focus on cybersecurity. Yeah. So I feel like the strategy, while it highlights the need, especially around the fact that we're seeing you know increasing breaches and increasing vulnerabilities that are being exploited. You know, we talk about, you know, national you know, ports being shut down because of somebody, you know, not willing to patch soon enough on a, on a critical vulnerability. Yeah, yeah. When I think about those circumstances, I think that we're still at the beginning and that to me that is maturity level zero on the, and that maturity level one is when we have all those things in place already. Yeah. And Maybe I'm taking a hard position, but I think we take too soft a position on businesses and on individuals in terms of responsibility because there are so many tools. There is so much technology out there to help people. Yeah, I I can be very sympathetic to people if their technology failed them because of zero day and that, you know, they were breached and, you know, there are things like Log4J, which are, you know, these, these once-in-a-generation type vulnerability that's just a, needs a massive response and it takes a lot of time to resolve. Yeah. However, when somebody has had a vulnerability, it's been well known that it's exploited in the wild and there is a patch and you haven't done it, whose fault is that? Yeah, totally you know, agree. And I think that the cybersecurity strategy should should focus on, well, if you can't get the baseline right, well, here are the consequences. And yeah. I don't see a lot of that at the moment. I think that that is where the future will lie, is regulators will 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 demand so much more of us in that space because of it. Definitely, definitely. Um, I'll just put it this way. Let's say I'm a senior manager or head of security and I'm being advised or being you know informed by my organization that they want to promote me to SISO. What would be your first or one? I just want to ask you for one advice, Gavin. Like, I'm um, becoming a size. So, 
which one advice would you give me to be successful in that role? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I would say that to be successful in that role, you yeah. need to embody the power of that position. And I think yeah. that too often a sizo is a is a demigod, so to speak. It's not a real it's not a it's not sitting in a Olympia, so to speak, you know. It's I I consider that 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 people could that sizos are seen as half not really a chief, not really yeah. an executive. They're an executive that reports to the CIO or an executive yeah. that reports to the CFO. Or if yeah. you're lucky, you report to the yeah the CEO. But yeah. I look at that and I go, the qualities you must engender as a sizo, you need to be as accomplished and as polished and as knowledgeable and as dedicated to the business as any other executive in that room. Yeah, and you need to be able to flex your muscles when it comes to your skills to be able to do the right thing to champion the cause for the business. Yeah. So yeah. you need to think like you run the business but flex your muscles in the areas that you know best because I you can't – if you, if you for a second are fearful of leaning in, people will steal the power from you in yeah. that room and you need yeah. to take it and hold your ground. Yeah. It's, yeah. I don't want people to feel like it's an adversarial situation, but the fact is you know, plenty of leaders in that room, everyone's a leader in that room, and they'll happily lead you, you know, yeah. as opposed yeah. to being led by you. Yeah, and that is that is just the dynamics of of executive leadership. So, absolutely, you need to embody that executive role in its totality. Be a champion of the business and flex your muscles and your skill set. Oh, I love that. What is the recipe, if there is one, for building a strong security culture and establishing cyber resilience? Can you remember any challenge, like personal challenge, doing so? I. I think about I think about a bit of a watershed moment in my career around the time of WannaCry, and oh. it's a, it's a really it's a really poignant time because I feel like my career really took off in in terms of where I found my niche in cybersecurity, which is really about education and awareness. And for me, when you talk about building a positive culture, um, at the time the reason why WannaCry was was interesting it was only it was only interesting because it was something that had garnered so much news, you know, news and media attention at the time, which we all know was, you know, nothing nothing new or special in terms of, you know, what it was. But it, the fact that it was wormable and that it could, you know, replicate itself on networks, the fear in the media was about your children could be infecting your, you know, your computer and, you know, there's a lot of fear-mongering that came out around it. Yeah. So, yeah, the first, I guess the first lesson I learned in that around culture is that, to create a positive culture, you need to make it personable, relatable. If it's personal, where you're, where the staff think about what their kids are doing at home and what the, the people they love most and are at risk, they actually want to listen. And I found that you can take you can take people on a journey at that point and really educate them, and they will really truly value the learning and adopt those those mindsets and behaviours when you can actually really. Yeah, add value in their personal life, and yeah. I found that more people had questions about their kids and their family and their loved ones than they did about worried about the work uh, network being, you know, being breached by it. So, I feel like education needs to, when you want to train people and you want to educate them and build their awareness around the types of scams and and, and hacks of vulnerabilities that are out there, 
You yeah. need to make it a value proposition where they go, oh, I absolutely want to listen and I want to know why. And it's yeah. usually about their family and loved ones. Um, the other thing I discovered was that so, that everyone that everyone wants to be entertained. They don't want another boring speech from another te- you know, another technical diagram. The fact is, if you can make cybersecurity awareness and training entertaining, people will be surprised at that and they will want to know more because people think hackers are actually magicians. It amazes me how much people think that the, that hackers have godly powers because they're able to do things that so many people can't. And yeah. in a way, that is a form of magic, and I and I respect that absolutely. But being able to talk to people about it and lean into those tropes and use them to be able to garner interest and really build that kind of you know the the viewership, so to speak, around you know, awareness and training. That's really important. You need to lean in on those 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 moments. And I do believe that ultimately, what what I had, what I was doing at the time was just socially engineering every single person in the room. To yeah. be, uh, you know, cyber safe and cyber aware, but it is a lot about the psychology. When I talk about education and training, growing that, growing that whole idea of a positive culture, if you can make people buy into it, you can make it light and entertaining and relatable. And finally, if you if you can make people feel like that there is a positive output from this, and that cybersecurity isn't a some negative game, you can actually make it a really fun environment where. Yeah, it's a virtuous culture because of a positive attitude where people do spot scams and yeah. where they've been scammed themselves or they've clicked on a link. You know, they're not afraid to run to the to the IT or the cyber guy and, re- and report it. They actually want to because they actually want to be a part of the part of the blue team. And yeah. I think by the end of that that twelve months, I was saying that everybody here's on the cybersecurity team was was the phrase I kept coining because I do believe it. You need to. You need to ultimately recruit every single person in your business to be on your team and make it a winning and positive team that is entertaining and gives them value not only in their day to day at work but especially at home. I think it's a really it's a really tough one, especially in really large organisations and especially during COVID, it became a much more challenging space to really build that culture. Yeah. But if you can get people, sit them down and and make it relatable and the human elements of it. You yeah. can really grow that. Yeah, I, I was fortunate enough and uh, to hear you speaking publicly in one of the major banks. They have their cybersecurity seminar, and I was there. And um, to be honest, like you know, it was the second day there, and everyone presenting technical, boring stuff, and no one was listening. To be honest, until you came, and I think the charisma, like you said, social engineered all of us, and everyone was like hundred percent attention and engaging so i think this is the right tool and this is why i love your methods in in applying them which is really good yes i, I remember that well i'd uh i think i'd spent a, a ridiculous amount of time trying to feed my entire slide deck on lord of the rings and our entire <laughs> audit process where gandalf keeps keeps appearing saying you shall not pass and <laughs> yeah i i don't believe that cybersecurity at the end of the day, the face of it needs to be a technical, yeah, you know, a technical paper or something that yeah you know, needs to be heavy in the way that it's presented. It can be fun, and you could use so much of the imagination of people to really translate those technical concepts into relatable, interesting, enjoyable content that they can that they want to see and lean into. Yeah, hundred percent. 
one of the big major things that we don't see on like technical bulletins and anything related to cybersecurity, which is budget. For any organization with a small budget uh, to spend on cybersecurity, what would you advise like three or five effective things they can do to implement and elevate their cybersecurity posture? I think there's plenty of zero-cost cybersecurity controls that you could do in your business Yeah, that you could actually start doing tomorrow. Yeah, I think training number one, as I've already said, is it doesn't so. cost you anything to share your knowledge. It yeah. really doesn't. The way you go, you can easily do it and yeah. you can lean in on that and you can start doing it tomorrow. I think, secondly, email security. I think that to me is, is really the next spot I really come to when I think about it because at the end of the day, it costs you nothing to update your SPF record. Yeah, you don't necessarily, yeah, and to have a DMARC, a DKIM, it doesn't really cost you a lot to really do those types of email security, uh, you know, settings and configurations to really to really actually support the entire mail filtering process and really yeah. protect your business. You know, if you take a bit of time and put a bit of effort and you, you make sure you understand you know, how it operates for inbound and outbound security, it could be hugely powerful. Yeah. And as we know that phishing is still, you know, email is still the number one you know, uh, yeah, attack vector. We need to be, and to me, if you simply have strong email security set up with your DMARC, DKIM and SPF, that's a great starting point. You know, and I don't care what mail filtering product you're using, as long as there's one there backing yeah. that up, you're, you, you're a long way ahead of unfiltered, un, you know, unprotected mail where you're basically saying, allow anyone to impersonate my network, allow anyone to send. Yeah. Know, it's To me, those things can do a lot very quickly. Um, DNS security is another one that I think about since we're in the DNS realm. A lot of that is built in with your with your provider now, and you should be asking your provider what they're offering you in terms of your you know, your registry. Typically, has DNS sec or some kind of you know, recursive you know, filtering, and yeah, you know, they there is a lot more there that you can do now to protect yeah. your domains and to make sure that people are, are poisoning your records or trying to you know subvert your DNS to take over your networks. And yeah. that's that's another real simple one, and I think. It's one of the ones that's probably been overlooked in the last few years because there probably hasn't been enough song and dance about it. But I think that the yeah. episode that you had on this podcast where you spoke about that was really yeah. important. I think that a lot of people can get a lot of learnings out of that, and it costs you nothing to pick up your phone to your registry provider and say, hey, what are you doing? Yeah. yeah. Now, those yeah. two right there I think are, are hugely valuable for what you do. Um, again, third one, turn on automated patching. I've already said it already. Yeah. Operating system, application patching, turn it all on, on your desktops and on your servers. Some people may absolutely hate what I just said, but so be it. But from my experience where availability is my responsibility still today, I'd yeah. rather I'd rather be known for the guy who broke broke the uh the internet or the application for the business because we were applying security patches than yeah. the guy who got the business hacked because he didn't. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, people can choose their position on that one, but I firmly believe you turn on that, and that's that's a massive win right there. Yeah. Yeah. And again, we spoke about multi-factor authentication, and I think it's been said so many times. It's a simple win. Turn it on, make it mandatory, and suffer the winges. And you know, those are the people you need to evangelize and need to focus on because 
at the end of the day, anyone who's resistant to the idea of having a second factor to protect their login, yeah, again, it's about personal responsibility. If they're not willing to do it, then maybe they're in the wrong organisation, yeah. not you. So yeah. I think I've hit four at this point. I think the fifth one is realistically look at the open source environment. I think there is so many excellent open source tools that are available. There's so many uh, so many pieces of technology that are available with free tiers and all the rest that you could use as a business to prove your business case to be able to implement. And yeah. I'm not going to go through them all, but I think that yeah. if you need something around incident event, you know, management, you can. There are there are SIEM type products and logging products that you can right now access for free. Turn it on your most important application. If you hit the free tier limit, so be it. But just turn it on once and have a look yeah. at it. Yeah. yeah. And I think that at the very least, if you start using those tools, and I also like simple things like application infrastructure monitoring tools. If you're smart. If you're looking to see if your website's up or if somebody's defacing content or someone's changing information, simple monitoring tools can be an excellent canary in the cave as well. So there's so much that can be done. And more and more so now, there are free tools and free automation that is coming through with your Google Workspace or your Microsoft 365 subscription. I personally enjoy using Power Automate to tell me whenever somebody touches a particular file in the business so I know who's actually going in and doing it and why. And there are so many great tools that if you yeah. just put your time and energy into and a bit of sweat, you can actually sit there and build some significantly sophisticated automations for response and detection for threats within your network. That's that's brilliant. Yeah. And I think if we apply these things, uh, 99% of cyber attack will be redeemed uh, useless. That's right. That's the baseline we've got to get to. We can do it, and it doesn't cost you anything. So what's your outlook regarding the threat landscape, and in particular in then, or within the financial sector here in Australia? I think that the threat landscape has always got a bit of a negative outlook, unfortunately. If you look at the, the trends and what's going on, we continue to see the level of breaches and the regularity of breaches and the severity of breaches all pointing in the wrong direction, which is not good. Yeah. I I look at the I look at the ACC report that was released in regards to Australia as being considered quite a fertile ground for cybercrime. I yeah. think that Australia and the fact that we as a from a regulatory space do not have the same stringent regulatory rules in place, our regulatory maturity for cybersecurity is not there compared yeah. to, say, the EU and other other places globally. That, yeah. to me, if I'm if I think like if I'm thinking red team, I'm thinking that Australia is a very valuable nation that I would like to target that probably has weaker cyber controls than they should have compared yeah. to their counterparts. Now, again, the statistics show this that. If you have a look at it, the large organisations that sit within the within the nation are least affected and least impacted by this in terms of cost, you know, per breach, etc. Because they do have, because they're more global players, they've got a much more mature cyber framework and cyber controls in place. It's the medium yeah. to small size business, uh, with, especially within the financial services sector, that if you ask me where I'd be hunting, I'd be hunting there because. 
the ACSC report told me that. I can, I can read it and it tells me, go tax yeah, small, yeah. medium-sized financial services in Australia. And yeah. we don't have the same stringent laws that other countries have. So if we, if you ask me to, to say, I think we're going to see heightened focus. Yeah. Um, I think that the last 12 months in Australia with the several breaches of very high-profile organisations and the level and amount of data that was leaked and from the historical yeah, historical data that if we had data privacy laws that were commensurate to, say, GDPR, we would have yeah. seen that a lot of that data would have had to have been purged from those organisations and they would have had to have and that we wouldn't have seen the uh, yeah, the, the same size breaches that we have seen because of it. I yeah. think that there are plenty of financial services organisations that are that are holding on to their data, especially in the AI paradigm of you know, where we're moving towards. We know that data is king, and we know that data can now be used in your business. It's a lot more easy now to access the value of your data you know, through tools like large language models, GPT, all the rest of it. And yeah. everybody now wants to use that data and will want to hold on to that data for dear life. But it tells me that because of that because of that want for businesses to really leverage their data as a valued asset to, for profitability and growth, they don't necessarily they're not necessarily focused on the security of it. So the innovation cycle will always say that we build new things and then we secure them later. So I believe that Australia is more so facing challenges around data security than ever and that as a red teamer, I'll be looking for all that. I think that we're going to see ransomware continue to be the most damaging in regards to to impacts on businesses due to the fact that people still don't have the right backup and recovery in place to really make sure that they can walk away from from a breach in terms of a ransomware attack. But I also firmly believe that there will be much more around uh, data breaches and where people are stealing data, ransoming yeah. data, you know, leaking data on the dark web for sale, and then you know that the whole idea of the uh, you know the triple extortion coming in, where they not only they're not only extorting you, they're extorting your shareholders, and then they're going to your regulator and they're forcing disclosure and all the rest of it because yeah. I think that that's that will the knife will continue to be twisted on those key pressure points, and that what does that mean? It just means financial services, especially, we need to be better than ever at getting in front of where what is going on with our networks, what is going on with our shared drives and our data. Do we actually have proper segmentation within the organisation, within uh, you know, especially within the flat file space? Are we have we got data? Have we got access creep going on, or do we have Proper role-based access controls. Is our yeah. identity is our, our identity tools really doing what we're wanting them to do, or are we just allowing the business to share a big pool of data that's all going to get locked up one day and stolen? And do we have the right level of security around our cloud, especially to make sure that we know that our data is safe and secure, and that the perimeter is secure, and that people aren't going to simply walk away with our data because a leaky API or something like that. It's about yeah. the whole idea about you know, depth in defense design, you know, the three disks principle you that you uh you extolled on the architecture episode, it's so important. And I think that, yeah. that will 
that will become much more important for financial service to be able to acquit themselves of that. Um, Kevin, we know like we're approaching the season of people buying a lot of online and uh, gifts and Christmas and New Year's Eve. And most of the fraud and most of the e-crime happen, at uh, unfortunately, at this time of the year. What would be your advice for individuals to things that they can follow and be safer online? Christmas time, it's... Uh... I don't know who what Christmas time is anymore, but for for online scammers, it's absolutely there. It's uh, it's it's their their favourite season. And if you think about online fraud, I look at the fact that it's so easy to look for that that Christmas discount online and really search you know far and wide to get the best price and and all the rest of it. But I I do believe that you need to certainly be careful of how you're going about your online shopping and making sure yeah. that. That, that you're doing it in a safe way, that you're not simply relying on the fact that, oh, I found it on, you know, through the Google shopping uh, page, it must be secure, it must be reputable. The fact is it's a, just an aggregation of search results and these can be, you know, there are plenty of uh, clone websites and plenty of you know, untoward websites that you just, you don't know where you're putting your credit card details in. So yeah. while you... While you may not be the expert at picking a fake website from a, a genuine website or being able to you know, really focus on that, my first advice is watch your credit cards throughout Christmas period, before, during, yeah. and after. Like that's the one simple thing that any, that people can do. You can watch what's going on. You can check whether or not your transactions are correct or not because some people may have a real high volume of transactions and not know what they've bought. Accuracy. Yeah. Simply keep a list, keep a list, you know, link of the website, what you bought, how much you paid for it. Just keep a personal list like that and then make sure you can reconcile it with your banking, you know, beat your accounts and credit cards because, yeah, that's a real simple thing you can do that even if you if you don't see the scam, you can at least identify the scam and the sooner you can identify scams, the sooner you can work with your bank and their fraud teams to be able to recover money. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously we know the longer things are left, the less likely you are to be able to do that. And the fact is, if you're waiting for that Christmas present, it's not going to turn up. So, yeah, yeah. don't disappoint yourself and your family. Um, <laughs> and, look, it's all about being rational as well. We all yeah. know that everyone's trying to save money during this period, uh, more so than ever uh, with our current economic climate. But if the deal is too good to be true, it really is. Yeah. And you need to recognise that. Um, th for me, being a little more paranoid about things, if you think about the internet of things and connected devices it seems that anything you buy can be a smart device nowadays um yeah. you know to me a smart device is just one more yeah one more uh opportunity to uh you know for for a bad guy to break into your network or steal your data or do something so think about think about what you're purchasing and what whether or not it really needs to be connected onto your wi-fi network and whether or not you really need that stuff yeah, sometimes less really is more in that case. And again, there's a reason why there is a reason why there are so many so many players in the market, and it's because yeah, some people will charge you a lot more for their product because it is safe, secure, and tested, and it's yeah. stood the test of time versus somebody else's who is yeah maybe quite good value in terms of price, in terms of features, but there is always a compromise in that. The yeah. uh, skeptic inside of me always wonders if that's the security. Yeah. Uh, it was a treasure trove uh, from you, Kevin, today with the advice on enterprise and even individual 
I loved every second of that. And thank you so much as well for your time today uh, with us. And I wish you as well uh, uh, a safe and uh, nice holiday as well. Thank you, Shadi. It's a real pleasure. And thank you very much for having me on. I really do believe that you know, podcasts like this and the work that you do is uh, you know, pointing us in the right direction, that we're going to win. Thank you so much, sir.